The following is a rebroadcast of Stratford University's Tech Talk. To hear Tech Talk live, tune in Saturday mornings at 9. You can find us on the radio on 1500 AM, 1045 FM, 1035 FM HD 2, 1039 FM HD 2, and 1077 FM HD 2. Or you can listen live online at federalnewsnetwork.com. Interfacing complete. Please stand by. Now downloading Tech Talk Radio with Dr. Richard Schertz and Jim Russ. Tech Talk Radio, it's technology you can understand. And now here are Dr. Richard Schertz and Jim Russ. Welcome to Tech Talk Radio. We're in the virtual faculty lounge at Stratford University talking technology. I'm Dr. Richard Schertz. And I'm Jim Russ. And lots of going on in technology, as always. Um, the cyber criminal, the Joker, is retiring and taking $2 billion in Bitcoin with him into <laughs> retirement. And he had a special message for all those other cyber thieves out there, <laughs> which I'll share with you. Now, there are websites that are selling fake Amazon reviews in bulk. I'll tell you how that is working. Huh. And you and there is a that's one of the biggest problems on Amazon, fake reviews. And I'm going to give you two programs that are going to help you sort out which reviews are fake and which reviews are new. Uh, we're going to go down memory lane this week and look at the old QR code. You know, that's that two-dimensional code that you can bring up web pages with. It stands for quick response. I'll talk about where that came from and who invented it. This week, we're going to feature the father of software-defined networks. He, um, he, was a, he has created a brand new field, which is a major challenge to Cisco, Martin Casado. And of course, actually, it's Martin Casado. He oh. likes, his, his, likes his first name pronounced Martin. And of course, he it was a huge, huge mailbag. Wait a minute. There's a letter in your mailbox. Good morning here, Doc. He was out smoking a camel. He's back I now. Can, I know. We're going to have to change the rules here, Jim, on that one. <laughs> we got an email from Arnie in Colorado Springs. Uh, does Tech Talk have a, a special domain name, exclamation point, Tech Talk? I don't, Tech Talk uh, Ar bang? Arnie says, I don't see much difference when I look at Tech Talk or exclamation point, Tech Talk. He did it with DuckDuckGo. Now, if you put in explanation point A, it comes up with Amazon. Uh, this whole thing with this explanation point, Arnie says, is fairly new to me. Great show. So many topics to cover. You and Jim do a terrific job, Arnie, in Colorado Springs. Well, Arnie, uh, so many companies have gone in and they've registered another domain name that's short shortened. So like Amazon has registered explanation point A. And if you put that in, it'll go straight to the Amazon website. Um, now, maybe I should put, maybe I should register explanation point tech talk. So it would come up straight to the tech talk page. Not a bad idea, Arnie. Let me think about that okay. one. Let me now, ask you a question yes? for, here. In the, in the outline, it says, do you have a tech talk bang? What is a tech talk bang? I don't know what bang. I guess that's, I guess that's what that means, bang. Let me go check 
Uh, let me go to the research I, department. I never heard that. I never heard that bang uh, term. So why don't you check I'm out what that exactly is? I'm going to walk down the hall to the uh, the, the uh, research department. I'll be back. No, I, I can't. I can't say, Arnie. Uh, you're uh, if, if you want to have private searching, DuckDuckGo is the way to go because. When you search on Google, boy, they track everything. And you'll start getting ads sent to you where you've been searching. And if you want to do it privately so people aren't tracking you to send you ads, DuckDuckGo is a great search engine for that. We got an email from Bob in Maryland. Dear Doc Jim and the most reliable Mr. Big Voice. He's not reliable. That's what I'm thinking. We just I just found I, that I, out. I think Bob has maybe missed a few few uh, few shows on that one. I guess there's so much cryptocurrency mining going on that it's distorting the market. Nvidia is adapting. They're releasing a card just for mining and another one for graphics with mining suppressed. What's all this about? All all the best, your faithful listener Bob in Maryland. Well, Bob, actually, you've you've hit on a problem that Nvidia had. If you've tried to purchase a graphic card for your gaming computer in the last few years, and the gaming card would have a graphics processor built in, so it offloads all the processing to the to the to the graphics card, and you get a lot more speed at rendering the graphics. But the prices have been skyrocketing the last few years, and there's low stock everywhere. The reason is the crypto miners have been buying up all of the inventory because they're using graphic cards to power their mining activity. It turns out that the graphic card also can do crypto mining very efficiently as well as render graphics. Now, NVIDIA wants to help the gamers and also help the miners. So they're releasing a new version called RTX, NVIDIA RTX. And, uh, you know, and that is basically specifically designed specifically for crypto miners. RTX, by the way, uh, and so it, it's a crypto mining processor. Now, uh, what they're doing? Uh, oh no, they're they're. I got to go back. They're releasing <laughs> two cards. They're releasing the RTX, which is a graphics card for the gamers. It's two ninety nine. Now, what this graphics card has built into it, though, if it detects crypto mining going on, it slows down. So that card's not very good for crypto mining. That way, crypto miners are not going to buy this card, and the gamers can have at it. There won't be uh, an inventory shortage. To take care of the crypto miners, NVIDIA is releasing the CMP version, which is crypto mining processor. Now, that won't, doesn't do graphics at all. I mean, it, 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 uh, it's designed specifically for crypto mining. It operates at a lower peak voltage and a lower frequency, which helps with the power requirements. So this CMP card has been designed specifically for crypto mining. And uh, I think it's a great idea. NVIDIA is responding to the market because crypto mining is getting to be a big business out there. We got an email from Dino in Phoenix. Dear Tech Talk, I can't log on to my router because I lost the password. And I've got to make a few changes to my router. I'm so frustrated right now. I'm thinking of not even having a password on my router. Once I get it set up, uh, I heard that there was a way to hack into the router uh, if you don't have the password, but I can't find the program to hack my router. Can you recommend a good hacking program? 
Well, Dino, you don't have to hack your router to get into it. You can simply reset it to the factory defaults. Very, very, very easy to do. Now, uh, what you are going to need to do, you're going to need your get find your user manual. Uh, if you don't have the, the user manual, because most people don't keep all those manuals around the house, you can you can go online, go to your uh, go to the uh, the website of your uh, of the router manufacturer, and you can get a PDF version of the manual, because when you reset the router, it's gonna it's gonna go to a default username and password, which you're gonna want to know. It's usually something like admin for username, password is admin, something very simple. But you're gonna want to know what that is. So uh, there's a button on the back of the router that says reset. Hold the button down for a few seconds, and that will reset your router. Now at that point, you don't have a Wi-Fi connection because you you haven't configured Wi-Fi, and what you're going to want to do is hook the route, hook, connect to the Ethernet cable, uh, connect, it, connect to your router via Ethernet from your computer. And then when you do that, you can go to the uh, web page that is your router's web page. It's going to be like 192.168.1.1. They'll tell you what the web page is in the user manual. And then you can log in using the um, default username and password. Then once you've logged into the router, you need to change that username and password to something that other people won't know. You also want to configure your Wi-Fi networks with uh, with a uh, with with the WPA2 uh, you know using WPA2 encryption, and uh, and you'll be good to go. So. Best of luck. I do not recommend that you leave your your um, password off. I think you that's there are a lot of hackers that are looking around to find open routers that they can log into, and then what they do, they do nefarious things with your router. You just don't want that to happen. We got an email from Monica in Kansas City. Hang You're talking, Jim. I've been working at home for quite a while now. Sometimes. You know, I take I take the afternoon I take the afternoon off on a break, uh, you know. But I've noticed when I do that, my supervisor starts asking me questions. Well, what have you been doing that yesterday afternoon? What 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 was going on? I think mm -hmm. they are monitoring my activity. <laughs> is there any way I can tell if this is true, Monica, in Kansas City? Well, Monica, as the COVID-19 pandemic has forced people to work from home, employers have, be have begun using digital surveillance technology. Yes, indeed. And there are, a lot of, uh, there are a lot of tools out there. There's one called Hubstaff. It tracks the workers' mouse movements, keyboard strokes. Web it tracks web pages, visited, email, file transfers, applications used. And I'm telling you, Hubstaff is a pretty much a footprint of all your activity online. There's another one called T-Sheets, uh, which, uh, which workers download to their smartphones, and employers can then track their location. And there's another product called Time Doctor that downloads uh, videos of, uh, of the employee's screens and uses a, comp a computer webcam to take a picture of the employee every 10 minutes to see if they're there. <laughs> they and finally, there's a system called InterGuard 
that can be secretly installed on a worker's computer, and it creates a minute-by-minute timeline of every app and website they view, categorizing each activity as productive or unproductive, and then it rates workers with a productivity score. So actually, online surveillance of employees is kind of creepy, but it's legal, and more and more is happening. So uh, I would just have to say, just assume, just Monica, just assume that Big Brother is watching. Yeah. All you have to do is do your job, and everything will be fine. That's correct. Yes, Doc. That, that's the sound of me walking back from the research department. Okay, what did you find I out? I found out bangs are shortcuts that quickly take you to the search results of other sites. This is on DuckDuckGo. For example, when you want to search another site like Wikipedia or Amazon, bangs get you there fast. A search for with the exclamation point and then whatever you want to search for will take you directly to Wikipedia. Remember, ah. though, because your search is actually taking you uh, to another site, you're subject to that site's policy. There you go. So now we know what a bang is. Well, thank you very much, Jim. I, uh, you've, I've now learned something on Tech Talk Radio. <laughs> <laughs> we got an email from Dwayne in Washington, D.C. Dear Doc and Jim, I just bought a used laptop uh, from a friend, and it, had micro- and it had Microsoft Office on it. But uh, the, uh, the, the, the hard drive, drive crashed, and I had to uh, reinstall the hard drive. I, I had to reinstall Windows. And I asked him if he had the installation disk for Microsoft Office. And he said, well, he, he doesn't have an installation disk because he got it on the website. He went on the Internet and got a free copy of Microsoft Office. Um, and now he doesn't talk to me anymore. Uh, so I don't know what I can do about getting MS Office. Uh, where, where, where is that link? Uh, for the free Microsoft Office uh, program. Uh, th- that's what I need. Dwayne in Washington, D.C. Well, Dwayne, I'm afraid you cannot find a free copy of Microsoft Office. Now, there are places on the Internet that give you, that let you download commercial software for free. First of all, it's illegal. Secondly, the reason they do it is they embed malware in that program. So as soon as you... As soon as you install it on your computer, they they might be using your your, your computer for something like crypto mining or or something else, or using it as 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 a node in a distributed denial of service uh, network. You don't know what you're going to do, so it's very uh, unwise to get bootleg software on the internet. Now, here's the good news: there's a great um, there's a great open uh, open source uh, software program that is very similar to Microsoft Office. It's called LibreOffice, L-I-B-R-E Office, and uh, you know it's it can read Microsoft uh, Office files, Microsoft Word files. It's got Excel built into it. LibreOffice, you can download it for free, and it's malware free. LibreOffice, L-I-B-R-E-O-F-F-I-C-E dot org. You can go right there, download it, and I think you'll you'll be good to go. It's not exactly like Office, but it's like probably got 90% of the features of Microsoft Office. Now, there's another great option that you have. It turns out there's another there's a, something called academic software and academic software pricing. If you have a .edu email address that shows that you're uh, that, that would imply that you're a faculty member or a student or a staff member of a university, you can qualify for academic software. 
And it's a lot cheaper. For instance, now I, I, there are a lot of places that sell academic software. I like the I like the site journeyed.com. Journeyed.com. I I buy academic software from there. So I I looked up Microsoft Office Pro academic prices. It's only $29. So if you qualify for academic pricing, that's also a good option. Maybe better than LibreOffice because now you got 100% Microsoft Office going for you. We got an email from Hawk and Bowie. Dear Tech Talk, I've forgotten the password for some of the sites that I visit with my Chrome browser. Now, the browser logs me on automatically, so I never have to enter the password. So it's been so long that I've never used the password that I've forgotten what they are. Now I'm trying to log into a website with my iPhone, but I don't have the password. And my iPhone doesn't remember the password because I've never logged in. By the way, I've got a Windows 10 computer, Hawk and Bowie. Well, Hawk, the good news is your Chrome browser uh, does remember all your passwords. And there's a very easy way to view the passwords that are stored by the Chrome browser. You want to open up Chrome, make certain you're logged into your Gmail account, uh, which is how, you know, Chrome tr tracks everything to you. Now, when you log in there, you're going to see there's going to be an icon in the upper right-hand corner. It's your profile icon. It could have your picture on it, or it might have your initials if you haven't put in a picture. Click on that. Click on that profile, that profile icon. And then uh, the profile will come up, and right below your picture, or where your picture should be, there will be something that looks like a key. It's on the left side, just below, just below the picture. You click on that key, and that key opens up a screen that has all the passwords. So you simply scroll down to the website that you're trying to remember the password for, and you'll see your username. That's written in, in open script. But then the password is all stars, asterisks. Now, if you want to see the password, there's a little I to the right of that. Click on that I, and then Microsoft Windows will ask you to put in your, uh, your PIN, log back in with your PIN just to be sure you are who you are. And then when you scroll back down to that web page again, you'll see that for that web page, the password is visible. The asterisks are gone. You can see the password. It's very easy to get a password from Microsoft Chrome. I hope that works for you, Hawk. Listen, we love your emails. Email us at techtalk at stratford.edu, and we'll get back to you as soon as we can. You're listening to Tech Talk Radio. This is Federal News Network, 1500 AM, 103.5 FM HD 2, also at 103.9 FM HD 2, and southwest of Washington now on 107.7 FM HD 2. You can hear us in Loudoun County on 104.5 FM. Learn more about the programs at Stratford University by going to stratford.edu. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. More of Tech Talk Radio, presented by Stratford University, coming up in a moment.
In the next three years, there will be 3.5 million unfilled cybersecurity jobs. How can you make that work for you? Stratford University offers everything you need to succeed, from certifications to bachelor's and even master's degrees in cybersecurity to prepare you for a rewarding career in today's most lucrative and sought-after field, cybersecurity. Stratford has seasoned IT faculty, well-equipped labs, and real-life scenarios to help you achieve practical solutions to today's newest challenges. And Stratford makes a cybersecurity career reality with accelerated classes, year-round program starts, and both on-campus and online options to fit your busy schedule. All disciplines are offered, including digital forensics, networking and telecommunications, and our full line of degrees, including a master's in cybersecurity. Find the future of you with a future in cybersecurity. Go to stratford.edu slash cybersecurity today. That's stratford.edu slash cybersecurity. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. Here's Dr. Richard Schertz of Stratford University with Tech Talk Radio. Welcome back to Tech Talk Radio. We're in the virtual faculty lounge at Stratford University talking technology. And now it is time for... Profiles in IT. Yes, today we're going to feature Martine Casado. Done that very nicely, by the way. Thank you very much. Martin Casado is a software engineer best known as father of software-defined networking and a founder of Nisera Networks. Martin Casado was born in 1976 in Cartagena, Spain. No, Cartagena. Cartagena, Spain. Cartagena, the G's silent. Cartagena, Spain. Oh, very nice. 19, but, you know, he only lived there for a year. I mean, <laughs> so he doesn't he, really so you get remember. get to pronounce it incorrectly then? <laughs> Cartagena. I mean, yeah, he, 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 didn't, he couldn't even say it when he lived there. <laughs> when he was one, his parents moved to the U.S. That's why they moved. They couldn't pronounce the place where they lived. Cartagena. That's a small town near Seville, Spain. But his family moved to Colorado when he was one, and then from there they moved to Montana. Now, they eventually settled in Arizona. Now, Casado attended Northern Arizona University in Flagstaff, and he got a Bachelor of Science from that university in 2000. Now, he, while he was working on his bachelor degree, he got internships in the summer. So he got a couple of internships. Uh, one internship, he got two internships at Lawrence Livermore Labs, uh, one, uh, one, he did atmospheric modeling on one of the internships, and then one of the on the second internship, he 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 wrote code for simulation coding. You know, they, there they do things like um, you know simulate all sorts of classified things like nuclear explosions and things like that. And so he was writing simulation codes. Now, because of his two internships at Lawrence Zimmerman Labs, he got he got a full time position when he completed his bachelor degree. And he started, and he continued working on classified simulation codes for an unnamed government agency. Ooh. Ooh. And then September 11th, 2001 happened. 9-11 happened. And uh, the entire intelligence community was on high alert. And the lab officials asked him to be the technical lead of a program focused on assessing the susceptibility of secure networks to cyber attacks. We went on full alert 
in terms of cybersecurity then. So he started working on that project. And uh, what he discovered when he worked on the project that it was that you take a network and you try to look how secure it is, it was very difficult to secure a network because all the routers had proprietary software. You'd have to go into every router and every switch. You'd have to configure it specifically to make certain that the network was secure. And it was a time-consuming job. And he and he started working on it. And, uh, and as he was working on it, he realized that there was no reason for all that complexity. He says, you know, you could probably take all these switches and routers and virtualize them and take all and put all the power, all the configuration power in software, and then they just, and you just use the the hardware for the basic routing function or the basic switching function, but all the intelligence would be in software. And so he sort of got this idea of software-defined networks because he, it would be a natural way to solve this problem of securing a network. So he decided to, uh, he wanted to get, I mean, his goal was to get a PhD. So he applied to Stanford PhD program and he was, and he was accepted at computer science. He said, wow, this is great. Stanford was close. He said, I can, I can keep working at Lawrence Livermore Labs and, uh, and I'll, uh, you know, and I'll, and I'll work on my uh, PhD part-time. Well, after he was accepted to the program, Stanford informed him that full-time doctoral students cannot have a job. They've got to be full-time graduate students. Ah. Uh, you know, the reason is because they want cheap labor yep in the lab yep and they and they want to they want to hire you as a as an intern or as a as a graduate assistant as they say there and uh and they pay you almost nothing i used to teach a lot of physics classes that way i mean i thought it was fun but but you get paid next to nothing so uh so he so he dropped so he left lawrence livermore and went to stanford and uh and he decided that he wanted to do his dissertation on virtualizing routers and switches and create a software-defined network. So this was totally and completely unheard of. Because if you remember, the Cisco, Cisco, the whole Cisco company came out of Stanford research, and everybody was so locked into Cisco's way of thinking about it that all the smarts has, has to be in the router or the switch. So he proposed this idea to the faculty, and the faculty absolutely rejected it. They said, this is not a good topic for, for, for research. He said, well, okay, I'm going to go to, uh, to Cisco, and I'm going to see what they think about it, because uh, they, they're probably going to like it, because it's a great idea. So he went to Cisco. He went to the top architects at Cisco, and of course, if you would create a software-defined network, it would make... Cisco's device is obsolete. <laughs> so these guys at Cisco, these architects at Cisco, network architects at Cisco, they started yelling at him. Uh, what are you doing? Yelled at him. They told him he was crazy. And he left. <laughs> so this is what happens when anybody tries to start something that is going to create an entirely new field and make much of what has been done obsolete. This is the price of innovation. Well, it turned out that Martine, 
was just not going to accept that. And he went back. And he went back. And finally, he got two advisors that would accept his dissertation topic. And he was off to the races. Now, his thesis explored methods to virtualize the networking, adding a software layer to off-the-rack hardware. And it freed the customers from the constraints of proprietary hardware and software sold by companies like Cisco. I mean, this is a big scam. It's proprietary software. You're locked into them. It's a way that they hold on to you and they charge you more. Now, using software-defined networks, Casito and his team at Stratford developed the foundational technologies which they released as open source code for something called OpenFlow. Now, that was a protocol that allows anybody to decouple data flow from the network hardware. Now, during this period, uh, Casado and one of his advisors, Michael Friedman, started a company called Illuminix Systems. Uh, they started that in, uh, in 2006, and in November of 2006, it was purchased by Kuova. Kuova. And uh, so that's, that's not bad. They started a company, sold it in a year. In 2007, Casado co-founded uh, Nasira Networks. Now, and he did it with two of his advisors who were helping him along, and this Nasira Networks, they were developing network virtualization software. And uh, this company transformed the whole field of networking. Now, when they opened up, they opened it up in a, what they call the stealth mode. They didn't want people to know what was going on. And uh, by using virtual computer networks rather than hardwired systems to connect cloud servers, Nasira could make the cloud more secure and reliable Hence, the company's name, Nasira, came from a Sanskrit word, which means vigilant. Mm, you might want to remember that. Yeah, Nasira came from a Sanskrit word, which means vigilant. Now, you, you, now, Sanskrit is, of course, the classical language of South Asia. And uh, many of the uh, original... Uh, books on Hindu philosophy and much of the original texts about Buddhism were written in Sanskrit. It's one of the ancient languages. And it's also the name of the river. N Nisira is also the name of a river in an ancient Sanskrit poem that was written over 2,000 years ago. So Nisira means vigilant in Sanskrit. Now his PhD thesis was architectural support for security management in enterprise networks. And, of course, that harkens back to the task hit at uh, Lawrence Livermore Labs to try to make networks more secure. Now, the reason this trend of virtualization makes sense, if I just, let me just have an aside here. Uh, you know, we, uh, there, there's a trend in IT to virtualize everything. I mean, in the beginning, you had a computer, and you'd want to talk to the computer hardware. So they would create a basic input-out process, a BIOS. That's a software layer that lets you talk to the hardware. So they virtualized the hardware there. Then that when they were writing computer code, they were, they were sending in zeros and ones to the processor. And so somebody said, well, why don't we have a computer language and we'll have a compiler that converts the computer language to the, uh, to the, to the zeros and ones that the processor wants to see. So the compiler essentially was virtualizing the processor. Then later on, 
we came up with uh, virtual computers. Uh, VMware came up with that, where you could actually have running on hardware multiple what would appear to be separate machines that were all virtual machines running on top of the hardware. Then we went to virtual hard drives, virtual storage, where you could you could have storage containers and then you could have hardware underneath it and it and you could swap out the hardware. It wouldn't matter. That storage container software would do it. And then you had cloud computing where you were virtualizing, you know, basically a, a, a whole cluster of computers and moving data back and forth. Then they went to virtualization of whole data centers. The one thing in that whole stream that had not been virtualized yet were the, were the switches. And you really couldn't completely virtualize the data center until you could virtualize the switches. And that's what he did. He filled in the missing piece. So Nasira raised $50 million from several investors, including Andresine Horowitz and Diane Green, who was co-founder of, uh, of VMware. And in, uh, in 2012, remember, they, they, op they, they started in 2007. They raised $50 million. In 2012, they went out of stealth mode, and they unveiled their network virtualization platform, which is a, a platform which would make it very easy to virtualize all the hardware devices. The NVP, as they call it, it's a software-based system that creates a distributed virtual network infrastructure in cloud data centers that is completely decoupled and independent from the physical network. In July of 2012, VMware acquired Nisera for $1.26 billion. Cisco thought they were gonna buy them, but they got outbid by VMware because VMware already owned virtual machines. Now they wanted to own virtual networking and VMware is gonna be moving into virtualized data centers. Now, VMware, when VMware bought it, they made him a fellow, and they gave him the job of chief technology officer for network and security, and ultimately, they made him general manager of the network business security unit. Now, Casada was named Business Insider's 50 Most Powerful People in Enterprise Tech in 2012. In 2012, he was a recipient of the Association for Compute Computing Machinery, Grace Murray Hopper Award, for helping create software-defined networks. In 2015, he was selected for Forbes Next Gen Innovators. Casado left VMware in 2016 and joined a VC firm, Andresine Horowitz, and he's helping other companies get going. Andresine Horowitz had been one of the original investors in Nasira. They contributed $17.7 million to the startup. So there you go. You saw the story on the creation of software-defined networks and why this important technology is actually making cloud computing easier and more secure. Hope you're paying attention because your chance to turn knowledge into free food eventually comes up when we play the pop quiz here on Tech Talk Radio on Federal News Network, 1500 AM, 103.5 FM HD2, 103.9 FM HD2 in Loudoun County, 104.5 FM in southwest of D.C., 107.7 FM, 107 FM HD2. And um, you can learn more about the programs at Stratford University by please going to stratford.edu. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the Internet, and IT careers. More of Tech Talk Radio, presented by Stratford University, coming up in a moment.
In the next three years, there will be 3.5 million unfilled cybersecurity jobs. How can you make that work for you? Stratford University offers everything you need to succeed, from certifications to bachelor's and even master's degrees in cybersecurity to prepare you for a rewarding career in today's most lucrative and sought-after field, cybersecurity. Stratford has seasoned IT faculty, well-equipped labs, and real-life scenarios to help you achieve practical solutions to today's newest challenges. And Stratford makes a cybersecurity career reality with accelerated classes, year-round program starts, and both on-campus and online options to fit your busy schedule. All disciplines are offered, including digital forensics, networking and telecommunications, and our full line of degrees, including a master's in cybersecurity. Find the future of you with a future in cybersecurity. Go to stratford.edu slash cybersecurity today. That's stratford.edu slash cybersecurity. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. Here's Dr. Richard Schertz of Stratford University with Tech Talk Radio. Live from Washington, it's the Stratford University Pop Quiz with Andrew Mitchell. Jim Ross, featuring Mr. Big Voice, with musical guest, the Stratford University Junkyard Band, and your host, Dr. Richard Schertz. Oh yes, thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, welcome back to, as we all like to say, Classroom of the Airways. It's a sellout crowd this morning. It is a cell. That is wonderful. Well, you know, we can actually have a few more people in the audience as they're relaxing the uh, COVID restrictions. And a few of them have gotten their shots because they're in the age group. No, that's, that's helping. That's helping quite a bit. Yes. Now, earlier in the show, I talked about Martin Casado. He, of course, is the father of software-defined networks. And he started a company, Nisira, which actually was creating software to support these, uh, these networks. Where did the name Nasira come from? That's a very good question. If you bear with me just one second here, Mr. Big Voice does have something to say on that subject. And here he is right now. If you know the answer to today's question, well, if you don't know what to do by now, I can't help you. If you're dialing from west of the Rockies, it's 877-936-9333. Standing next to a pile of frozen oyster shells east of Playa del Shirts, Virginia, 877-936-9333. If you're trying to make your cloud more secure in Canada, call us on the wildcard line, 877-936-9333. Anyone else, anywhere else may call us on the international line. It's sanitized hourly using off-brand Colbert brand hand wipes, 877-936-39333. Now, once again, here's Dr. Richard Schertz. Those hand wipes yes. are made in Turkey, by the way. In case oh, you're okay. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Very good. What okay. is? Uh, you should look up what hand wipes in Sanskrit should be, uh, Jim. I think we're going to do that right now. Yes. Now, did they have hand wipes back then? Probably not. Uh, I don't know. I doubt it. Now, the cyber criminal, the Joker, is withdrawing two billion in bitcoins. Now, he ran a a website on the dark web called Joker's Stash. It was a site for stolen credit and debit card data from the dark web, and the Joker stash has ceased operations. Now, the owner of the page was known as, as you would expect, the Joker. 
and he's withdrawing $2 billion in Bitcoin that he's earned, assuming he's not caught by the FBI or Interpol. Now, Joker's stash started operating with stolen card data in 2014, as well as serving as a convenient crypto laundering service. It recently announced it'll shut down. Now, Joker announced he would halt operations February 15th, uh, but it, actually he stopped operations February 3rd. Uh, people can no longer log on and they can't get paid for anything. It is estimated that he made $2 billion in all the transactions. Now, when he sent out the parting message on the website that he was shutting down, he put he sent out this word to all everybody on the site. His parting words to the other criminals on the site were that all the money in the world will never make you happy and that the most valuable things in life are free. And with that, he took out his $2 billion. So there you go. The cyber joker withdraws $2 billion in Bitcoin. Interesting. I think we have somebody who'd like to play our little game. Okay. So let's go now to line one. MC is calling us from Silver Spring. Good morning, MC. How are you? Just fine, Jim. Thank you. You're good. Okay, Doc, good go ahead and ask the question, please. Yeah, earlier in the show, I was talking about uh, Martin Casado, the uh, father of software-defined networks. He started a company, Nasira. Where did that name come from? From the Sankris language of India. That means vigilant. There you go. Correct. Very good. Nice job there, MC. Hang on here. Actually, we've, uh, we've got your information. Thanks for playing today, and uh, congratulations on winning. Doc, we went to the dictionary, and we figured out what wipe or hand wipes is. First thing that came up was wet ones, and I suspect that they didn't have them back in ancient Egypt. I'm thinking that's probably but true. But it looks like, if I'm gonna, I'm sure I'm going to butcher this, Suifan Vipate would be <laughs> hand wipe in Sanskrit. In Sanskrit, that's right. There you go. And now on that nugget, we'll take a break. This is Tech Talk Radio, and you're listening to Federal News Network. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the Internet, and IT careers. More of Tech Talk Radio, presented by Stratford University, coming up in a moment. In the next three years, there will be 3.5 million unfilled cybersecurity jobs. How can you make that work for you? Stratford University offers everything you need to succeed, from certifications to bachelor's and even master's degrees in cybersecurity to prepare you for a rewarding career in today's most lucrative and sought-after field, cybersecurity. Stratford has seasoned IT faculty, well-equipped labs, and real-life scenarios to help you achieve practical solutions to today's newest challenges. And Stratford Stratford makes a cybersecurity career reality with accelerated classes, year-round program starts, and both on-campus and online options to fit your busy schedule. All disciplines are offered, including digital forensics, networking and telecommunications, and our full line of degrees, including a master's in cybersecurity. Find the future of you with a future in cybersecurity. Go to stratford.edu slash cybersecurity today. That's stratford.edu slash cybersecurity. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the Internet, and IT careers. Here's Dr. Richard Schertz of Stratford University with Tech Talk Radio. Observations from the bunker. 
Road salt only makes the door more squeaky. I know, but I love, you know, I'm getting used to this bunker, Jim. It's, uh, it's growing on me. <laughs> I think you're going to be there for a while. So uh, this, this week, I started reflecting on Marcin Casado and his journey with Nasira. And the question that I was pondering is, to be CEO or not to be CEO? Mm-hmm. It's a tortured question for, for, you know, for founders of companies. On one hand, the product, the product founder, like Casado, having been through the maze of ideas and, and with having built a company through blood, sweat, and tears, knows the technology like the back of his hand, I mean, he, he's got the vision. He ought to be able to be the CEO. Right. But on the other hand, as the, comp- as the company transitions to product sales and scales its operations, that's a different skill set. And if you're bringing in talent from the outside, uh, having a CEO title will let you attract better talent. And that would allow the founder to continue working on the core product. So this is the classic question, to be CEO or not. Now, Casado was the primary founder of Nasira Networks. It was his idea. It was his dissertation. He wrote the initial, all the initial software. He, took, he co-founded the company with two of, his, uh, two of his advisors, Scott Schenker and Nick McCohen. Now, both Scott and Nick... They were, they were going to be there with Nasir a short time. They were just there to help it get launched. They had, they had a small equity stake because they were advisors. And what initially Casado decided to do was not be CEO and let Scott be CEO. One of his, uh, let Scott Schenker be CEO. And then Nick was on the uh, board of directors. And so uh, Scott was the CEO. He was very respected in the industry. And he was able to then attract really good talent to the team. And Casado remained as chief technology officer because he felt it was his job to figure out how to build it, how to write the code, and then how to sell it. Now, when Scott transitioned back into academia, they um, had another decision. Should they bring in an outside CEO, a real outsider? Scott was, was one, of the, one of the co-founders. Or should Casado rise to the job? Uh, Casado again decided he wanted to stay close to the technology, and they brought in a guy by the name of Steve Mulhaney, who was previously CEO of Palo Alto, Palo Alto Networks. Now, they did that because Steve had heavy connections in the industry. And it turned out that uh, it turned out that he, Steve was a 20-year veteran. He was able to hire executives quickly from his own network of connections. He had deep enterprise go-to-market strategies, and he knew everyone in the field. So Steve was the right guy at the right place to go up against the likes of Cisco and Juniper Networks that were trying to shut down Nasira. Now, when VMware bought uh, Nasira, uh, Steve, went, Steve went on. They, they had achieved their goal. They sold for $1.26 billion. At that point, when the company had reached that scale, 
Martin Casado decided he would become general manager of the operation. And he took VMware sales from 160 million to 600 million in four years. And he scaled the number of technical people from 600 to 1,000. So he likes to say that that was the right time for him to assume the leadership position. But he said, when he looked back over the seven years of the company, the most strategic decision that was made correctly was bringing in Steve at that critical time. So the founder is not always best as the CEO. And there you go. Thoughts from the bunker. Do you think that's why Bezos is doing what he's doing? Well, Bezos stayed on as CEO. No, he's what, what Bezos is doing. It's a little bit different. Bezos believes that if Amazon does not innovate, uh, they're going to be put out of business. Somebody like Cisco didn't innovate. So, so software defined design networks, defined networks might put them out of business. So he wants to work on the next big thing. And he wants to let somebody else run the day-to-day -day operations. So this is a little different, a little different timing, but to a certain degree, maybe it is similar because he wants to get back to building a core, a new, a new core technology. And he, maybe. well, he was the, he was the idea guy to begin with, right? It was, it was, it was, he his... was the idea guy, but it turned out he's also fantastic at execution. So he had, he was the complete package. He could handle all phases in this in the growth, but uh, I think maybe the reason he wants to go back is a little bit by a little bit why uh, Casado wanted to stay as chief technology officer, and so maybe Bezos will go back in that regard too. That is a, a good thought. Now let's talk about fake Amazon reviews. I mean, this is like a it's a problem. It's a continuing I mean, thing, isn't it? Yeah. So. Fake reviews for products online are being sold in bulk. There's a consumer group called Witch, W-H-I-C-H with a question mark. They found 10, 10 websites that are selling fake reviews. Now, the fake reviews cost uh, from $7 to $14 each. Uh, now, Amazon said, we, we absolutely will remove fake reviews when I find them, and we take action against anyone who puts them up. Now, the fake review package, they have like packages of fake reviews. For instance, uh, some of them, for the fake reviews, if you want like a paragraph written, like a, you, can get, you can get earn as much as $21 for a fake review. But they sell bulk packages. You can get 50 re reviews for $870. You can get 1,000 reviews for $11,000. So the group looked at five of these fake review businesses, and they have collectively more than 700,000 product reviewers on their books. And product reviewers are, are offered from a small payment of a few dollars to up to $14 along with discounted products. So this fake review is a huge problem on, on Amazon. That's why you have to be so vigilant. Now, the good news is there are some tools that help you detect fake reviews. Uh, because it turns out the fake reviews all have a common theme. They, they, they tend to use the same language. They tend not to go too deep. There's kind of a, if you look at them, you can, you can kind of I identify a fake, a fake review because the person really doesn't know that much about it. And if somebody's going to give a five-star review, they're, you know, they're going to want to opine on why it was so fantastic. And yet it might be a five-star review and only, only one sentence doesn't say much. And so there are uh, ways to detect it. So there are two uh, 
two uh, two websites that will let you do this. You just you just put in the uh, the you just paste in the web address of the product you're looking at, and they'll review the reviews and tell tell you and give you a, and give you an analysis of of how many are fake. The first one is FakeSpot, FakeSpot.com. Now it works on reviews on Amazon. It analyzes eBay reviews and other online shopping sites. You just simply paste in the link to FakeSpot.com. And you wait a minute, and it gets back to you. Now, because they've already done the review, this analysis, many, many times over again, they might pull a previous analysis that they did maybe yesterday, and you can get it. If you want to get an analysis done right now at the moment, you can click give me a current give me a current analysis, not one from a day old. And if you're willing to wait five minutes, you'll get an analysis done right now. There's also another website, Review Meta reviewmeta.com and you simply paste the link into that site and it it looks at the languages within the review the frequency of the reviews how soon after the reviews were received how many are unverified how many are actual product owners and so uh, review meta is also a pretty good site so those are the top two fakespot.com reviewmeta.com so best of luck with your Amazon purchases. I always try to get thousands of reviews and I don't look at the most recent review. I, I look at the most recent reviews, not the highest reviews. Uh -huh. And you can kind of tell. And you if can... it's like some, some obscure product out of China that has 500 five-star reviews and you've never heard of that product before, chances are those reviews are fake. Can't you tell sometimes in just the way that they're written that it's yep. a fake review. You certainly, you certainly can. You certainly can do that. So let's talk about the QR code. Yeah. This is going to be a walk down memory lane. <laughs> a walk. The QR codes are now ubiquitous. They're everywhere. Uh, that's that two-dimensional code that you that you use your you 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 open up your camera and you and you look at it and a web page will come up or we were using QR codes to give out a Wi-Fi pass codes and that sort of thing. Well, the QR code, the quick response code, was invented in Japan 25 years ago by Hera Mashiro. Hera Mashiro. He was an engineer at Denso Wave. Now, back in the day, remember barcodes? Yeah. Those are that horizontal barcode. Yep. So a barcode holds only 20 characters. 20 characters, that's it. Remember that, 20 characters. And the problem was, they, he was in an auto parts, this was an auto parts uh, company, and they, and in order to totally characterize the part, sometimes they would have as many as five barcodes or six barcodes on the same box because they needed more than 20 characters, you know, to, you know, to put it in inventory. And the people just got fed up with scanning six or seven times on the same box in order to get the information. So Haramashiro came up with an idea of a two-dimensional code now of black and white dots. Now, he created uh, a two-dimensional code with black and white dots that could hold 4,200 characters rather than 20. So it, had, it could hold 200 times more data. Yeah. 4,200 characters. Now, this is where he got the inspiration for this from 
the game Go. He loved to play Go at lunch. And Go has these black and white uh, pieces. And he looked at the Go board with all these black and white pieces all over this square board. And he thought to myself, why couldn't I make the Go, go grid into a code? And that was the eureka moment when he decided, yeah, we can do it. Now, Hera gets credit for this inspiration, but he had to have a whole team that built the, the software that went behind it. Now, the greatest challenge for these guys was to try to get, get it so they could read the code quickly. And the problem is when you try to read a code, you've got to do a registration where the edge of the picture is. And it took a while to register the code because the, the phone is, the, the camera's moving around. And so they, they, they were having trouble getting a quick registration. So they hit on the idea by adding uh, by adding these little squares. Have you ever seen the QR codes? They have like yeah. three squares yes. around there. And those squares are used as reg registration points. And so those are it's a position-detecting pattern with those square marks, and that allowed them to get high-speed registration and quick reading. Now, they lacked the resources to develop the QR code on their own. And... Uh, because you'd have to get QR Q code readers and all of that. So they decided to make the QR code idea. They decided to release the patent and make all the software open code. Now that meant that Hera Marashio made no money on the deal. <laughs> That's the way it usually works. Yeah, so, so, they, so the strategy worked. And in fact, everybody started using QR codes. And firms all around the world started using them. QR code readers were built into cameras. There's an ATM being, being, uh, you know, being uh, pursued where you just use the QR code and it, and it includes your facial information. And then they use a camera to see whether you're, you're, you match up with the QR code. QR codes are on the doors of subways in Tokyo. Amazon Go uses QR codes to, add, to identify shoppers as they're entering the, the, inter, the inter premises. QR codes are everywhere. So the idea was very successful. Listen, we love your emails. Email us at techtalk at stratford.edu and we'll get back to you as soon as we can. In addition to that, go to the Stratford University website, www.stratford.edu, and tell them that you heard about all of those great programs on Tech Talk Radio. Tech Talk Radio is sponsored by Stratford University. For more information on courses at Stratford University, call 1-800-444-0804. Thanks for listening to Tech Talk Radio Online.